Hi, this is Alana. And this is Rebecca. And this is, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast produced by Patientworthy. Today, we are figuring out how to even start this podcast. Um, obviously, right now is a pretty, well, I don't even know what the word is. What, what is right now in American history? It's a hard week. It is a hard point, uh, a hard week, and oh gosh, yeah, I am. Descriptors are failing me. If our grandparents or, or not grandparents, grandchildren or any future listeners are wondering what week we're referring to, um, this week uh, there were a lot of protests following um, the killing of George Floyd, a black man by police. And there's been a lot of protests since then, and there's been a lot of reckoning and pain in the country generally about how our police treat black people, like police brutality, and also just racism in general and how it's incorporated into a lot of our daily lives. Um, It's kind of, we're not really the best people to be recording this podcast because both Rebecca and I are white. And so we are going to definitely refer listeners to other resources that are probably better better places to get information and firsthand experience because we're really not the voices that you should that should be the most listened to right now but we do want to talk a little bit about how it relates to the rare disease community yeah well put and we'll we will provide a lot of uh, links for your reference we don't want to be your resource for takes on what's happening to the black community right now, but we want to address it and we want to uh, shed light on injustices and inequalities that have persisted, you know, for for so long and the way that they directly impact uh, the rare disease community and uh, people's health care and, and livelihood. And uh, of course, we also are still mid pandemic so that factors in as well yeah where do you want to start i can start historically yeah you can you can start historically well i have a few things i thought i would mention to those who are maybe a little newer to some of the injustices that have occurred in this country towards black people um, specifically related to their health and well-being and health care. These are pretty famous incidences now, but I don't know that they're still necessarily widely taught in the public school system or really discussed that often. So per the CDC website, I thought I would mention that um, as an example of the unfair treatment of black people, In 1932, the Public Health Service, working with the Tuskegee Institute, created a natural history study of syphilis. It was created in hopes of justifying treatment programs for black people. And it involved hundreds of black men. And these men were told that they were being treated, um, but did not receive proper treatment. And the study went on for 40 years. So these people were misled. Um, They didn't have information about what was happening to them. They didn't provide informed consent. 
they weren't given adequate treatment even when penicillin was indicated for syphilis in 1947. It wasn't offered. They weren't given a chance to quit the study even when this highly effective treatment became widely used. It was just really super unethical. Um, And this kind of thing happened a a bunch. In 1951, per the Johns Hopkins website, another name I hope you've heard of is Henrietta Lacks. She had a malignant tumor, and physicians took her cells and realized that her cells were surviving outside her body rather than, than dying, and in fact were doubling So that gave them a great option to be able to continue to use those cells to do research. So Henrietta Lacks had this incredible legacy and and helped so many people. But she wasn't told that those cells were taken and being used. She never gave permission for them to be used the way that they have been. Uh, And it took over 20 years before her family even learned about what was going on in the research that was being conducted with tissue from Henrietta. There are so many incidences historically of black people not receiving the care that they need, being treated as guinea pigs for treatments that weren't approved, just really treated horribly. And unfortunately, those inequalities in healthcare and treatment do still persist to this day. Yeah, earlier this week we published an article about some of the ways that black people aren't re- receiving the care they need in the healthcare system. And I just put together some like a few of the articles that we've published and it's like they're so long and it's so uncomprehensive. It's just like one headline after another like housing segregation affects black women's survive- breast cancer survival rates. Standard chronic kidney disease tests are not precise for African Americans. The effects of pulmonary arterial attention outcomes of race on uh, PAH. Uh, Yet another study shows the dire need for more diversity in medical research. New database aims to combat racial disparities in medical care, which is actually a good thing. How coronavirus is affecting minority patients disproportionately, a pattern of multiple myeloma research may cause lower African-American patient survival rates. And this is just, you know, it's like not even half of it. It's like all of these different diseases it's not one thing it's like something that shows up in every thread of every disease is that it's our healthcare system is consistently putting black people at a disadvantage in terms of what kind of care they're given and in terms of how they're treated like i mean famously at least this is something that i saw a lot of a few years ago was that a lot of medical students still hold the belief that black people feel less pain than white people like physically feel less pain, which is like an extremely disturbing thing. Um, And, you know, the people who are training in medical school still carry that belief. You know, not not everybody in medical school says, but it's disturbing to hear that. They are prescribed pain medication, I believe, far less often. Yeah, that's definitely that's something um, I've heard from when I've talked to people associated with sickle cell groups is that when they're looking for pain medication, some of like the stigmas related to black people will predispose doctors to think that they're looking for drugs. And because pain medication is something that's often abused, but it's also something that a lot of people need. Um, the relationship with getting this treatment is 
you know, different. And there's there's studies on how black pain is less seriously believed sort of across the board. Um, and also how few doctors are black. I know we posted a graphic on our Instagram that was made by Remember the Girls recently that um, also had some jarring statistics. And the thing is, I'm not going to read them all out because you can't read them all out. Like, I could read all of them on this post, but then there's like, there's a hundred more ways that we can't cover in a 30-minute podcast. But black female doctors represent only 2% of physicians, which, like, I know when I go to the doctor, I prefer to have a woman doctor over a man doctor. Like, I just do. Because there's also reports of pain of women being taken less seriously than the pain of men. And it's easier for me to trust a woman doctor, especially with something as personal as my body, you know, in in a field that has historically really mistreated black patients. And we're like, you know, there's studies on how all of these medical students who are becoming physicians don't even believe that black people feel pain the same way. You know, you might want a black doctor, like you might feel more comfortable with that. And they're not represented you know, in who's going to medical school and who's becoming a physician, which I think, I think a lot of people in the rare disease community can relate to this is, especially when a lot of doctors don't take what's happening to you seriously. Like if you have a rare disease and when it is already so hard to trust a doctor, it can be even harder if you can't find one that looks like you or that you no firsthand knows that your pain is real pain. Yeah. There was a Twitter thread recently of a black medical resident who came back into a black man's room after rounds because he seemed so confused about his diagnosis of MS and what seemed hesitant to, to ask questions to this like group of largely white people. And he came back uh, to talk to him. And the guy, the patient was in like tears, feeling as though he had someone he could trust and ask questions and wouldn't be looked down on. And of course, the, I think a statistic that's been going around more frequently is starting to get more light shed onto it is that black women are up to four times more likely to die from pregnancy related causes yeah. than white women. And it's been described by uh, Dr. Anna Langer, Harvard that it's a public health and human rights emergency because a lot of those deaths are most likely preventable. I think what's something um, that people don't always understand is that it is such a huge, widespread, systemic, ingrained issue. You know, it's not necessarily a deliberate active, active racism but it's the lack of representation, it's stigma and stereotypes that persist and unconscious bias as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also um, when you brought up the the childbirth issue, I remember one time listening to a podcast on that that talked about it. And there's all of these people before who used to believe that that statistic was because of all of these other things that we understand, like all of these other diseases that uh, black people are at higher risk for. Or, um, you know, if you're not in a neighborhood where it's easy to get good food, like food deserts would account for part of it, like where you're working accounts for part of it, like if you're more likely to be in, a, in like an essential job, like all of these factors that people thought were affecting it, 
it's not that they don't affect it, but that when you actually control for all of them, black women still die at a higher rate. And what uh, this, the podcast I was listening to, it was The Daily, um, a podcast by The New York Times. What the reporter sort of came to, um, or not the reporter, but the researchers they spoke to, was that another factor that's happening is just the stress of being black in America takes a toll on your body. Like like the daily stress and fear of living in a country that wasn't made to protect you. You know, like the heightened um, anxiety ages your body, which was just kind of this incredible thing to think of the tangible effects of all of these things that can seem intangible um, to the point where it's affecting like whether or not you have a viable pregnancy or whether or not you survive it. I mentioned earlier, you know, we had so many headlines and so we we just can't cover them all. But there's one that I wanted to dive into a little bit. Um, well, there's two that I want to dive into. One was the pattern in multiple myeloma research one, and the other is how coronavirus is um, affecting minority patients disproportionately. Sort of going back to what you were saying with the syphilis trial, According to Stat News, African Americans are overrepresented in studies that don't require consent, but they're also underrepresented in a lot of other types of trials. And one that I found pretty interesting was specifically as it pertains to multiple myeloma treatment, which um, multiple myeloma, it's a rare type of cancer. Um, it affects black people more than it affects, like that's a risk factor, especially African American men run three times the risk of diagnosis, but they're also half as likely to survive multiple myeloma. Something I had read about was uh, that most of the research focuses on patients of European descent, and the problem is that the disease operates differently due to genetic differences in people from different ancestries um, because there's a heavy genetic component to this cancer, and depending on the type of mutation a patient has, they might respond differently to different types of treatments. So, um, for instance, the mutation in the TP53 gene, the TP53 gene is a gene that uh, helps prevent cancer by preventing tumors from arising, and when there's a mutation, multiple myeloma has an easier time arising. People from European ancestry are six times more likely to have this particular form of mutation, and also um, they frequently have that IRF4 mutation. Um, but that's not the only type of mutation that causes multiple myeloma. Like the BL7, or sorry, BCL7A gene is more likely to affect African American patients, and that's also a gene that suppresses tumor. But because it's a different gene, if a cancer therapy works to target the TP53 gene, which a lot do, it just won't work on somebody who has the BCL. 7A mutation. Like the therapy would attempt to fix a gene that's working fine. And um, there's a few more mutations, AUTS2 and BRWD3 um, that are higher in African-American populations. But since patients of European descent are the most researched demographic, uh, there's more strides towards treatments for multiple myeloma caused by their mutations. That was just something I found interesting because it was such a, I guess, clear example of how people are, like, not having the opportunity to participate in a clinical trial if it's, like, maybe in an area that's, like, a more white city or, like, for the reasons that clinical trials 
research more white people. It just, within the rare disease space, it puts you at a heavy disadvantage. That's a really good example uh, for representation in research and um, acknowledging the genetic differences and, and having those represented in the mm-hmm. drug development industry. That's something to mention that um, W.E.B. Du Bois actually, he published a book in, you know, in 1999 with an analysis uh, stating that poor health among black people was an important indicator of racial inequality in the U.S. I mean, this is a, a direct quote from the Sociology of Health and Illness Critical Perspectives by Peter Conrad and Valerie Leader. So at that time period, uh, the dominant medical paradigm attributed any observed racial differences in health to innate biological differences between racial groups. Um, and so per your example, um, there are different groups and demographics who are going to be uh, predisposed for certain conditions and have different genetics. But Du Bois argued that the causes of these differences in health were multifactorial, but primarily social. And that has been something that's been proven over and over again, is that there's outcomes would be so much better if the context in which black people were living in society and in this culture were different. And that gap is still something that we're, that we haven't closed clearly. Yeah. Um, there's um, a, a quote from a, a research paper by Williams et al. from 2007, so quite a bit ago at this point. But it's found that even when African-Americans have a lower rate of illness than white people, they have a prognosis that is considerably worse than those of their white counterparts. An illness that isn't genetically based, like coronavirus, it's like we are seeing it affect black people at much higher rates than it affects white people. Um, And, you know, it affects it like obviously the world is not just black people and white people. It's affecting different demographics differently sort of seeing right now we're in a world that's kind of defined by an illness right now um, and has been for months. Like we're in the age of coronavirus and it shifted everything. And it's really, you know, we're also seeing right now this really heightened representation of how unequal medical care plays out in a dire situation. You know, there's a lot of factors uh, in terms of sort of like, where someone works, are they more likely to be an essential worker? Like, are they more likely to get treatment? Are they like more likely to have a condition that um, interacts with COVID? According to Pew Research Center in Kansas and Wisconsin, black people account for 6% of each state's population, but 29% and 26% of deaths due to coronavirus. Nationally, black people account for 13% of the US population but 24% of the coronavirus deaths. Um, um, In Missouri, black people account for 12% of the population, 37% of the deaths. And, you know, it keeps going like that. That's the population that's being most affected right now by something that I think we're all feeling the effects of, you know, coronavirus and the fear and anxiety that goes along with it. That's a really good point, too, to mention in the midst of the the protests. Um, NPR published a great article about that for sort of recognizing that it's disproportionately affecting black people, COVID, that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And now this movement that is centered around the treatment of black people is bringing people into large groups where they're congregating and they're probably in a lot closer proximity than they have been for the last couple months. Um, And of course, that increases the risk of of 
the spread of this virus. This article touched upon the fact that people may receive criticism for that, but really for black people addressing these issues at hand, the racism, the violence on the behalf of police of unjust force and abuse of power, that also is a matter of life and death. So Dr. Elaine Nosey is an assistant professor global health at Boston University um, is encouraging protesters to be careful, uh, wash their hands, try to keep any distance that they can, uh, keep in mind whether or not they should be trying to separate from their families when they go home. But she's also asserting that, uh, and this is a quote, racism is a social determinant of health. It affects the physical and mental health of blacks in the U.S., so I wouldn't weigh these crises separately. Coronavirus is a public health crisis, but black death is also a public health crisis. I think whether you go to the protests or whether you don't go to the protests, I think both options are legitimate. But I think especially, you know, I think especially for us, like, you know, condemning it when it's, you know, like even after the vaccine for coronavirus is created, this is an ongoing thing that's been going on for hundreds of years. And isn't going away via a new invention. Like, it demands drastic social change. And and it's not something that, for those who maybe would suggest, well, can't you just wait to protest until the pandemic's over <laughs> for an indefinite amount of time? Yeah. And how many, many more lives might be lost in also, that time? Also, these, these moments don't, you can't plan, like, like schedule these moments, really. Right now, I'm thinking we could shift gears a little bit to um, resources, um, since, you know, like we mentioned, uh, we are not the best spokespeople for these issues. We think that our podcast would be incomplete without discussion, but um, we do encourage anybody listening to seek out other information and to seek out firsthand accounts. So I did want to shift to some initiatives that you might want to support. Um, one is Black Health Matters. You can go to blkhlth.com, which is focused on educating and empowering the Black community on issues that impact Black health. Black Women's Health Imperative is another resource. It's bwhi.org. It also has an initiative specifically for coronavirus, and it's specifically working on health for Black women which is, of course, a really neglected group in our healthcare system. Um, I don't know if you have anything you're, you want to point people towards. I think that there's probably also community organizations and sort of yeah. local things. But I also would, would implore uh, people who are not Black to act as allies uh, when and as they can. And that may be something as simple as seeing if, your black friend who is dealing with some health problems would like you to go with them to a doctor's appointment. I think that, I mean, across race, I think that's often a good idea, just having someone there to help you listen, help you ask questions, give you courage, because those appointments can be unnerving and intimidating and emotional. So you're not always you know, standing up for yourself the way that retrospectively you would have wanted to or asking the questions that you, uh, you know, ended up having. So if, 
if you can do something like that and talk to, to your friends and see if there's anything they need, especially during this time of, of unrest uh, and just fear. Yeah. Something that I've been reading is making sure that your Black friends are your friends and you have that type of relationship with them where it's appropriate to ask that question. Yeah, and I've, I've heard that also in terms of uh, for people who do want to better understand systemic racism and inequalities and in, in all the ways that this country fosters a negative experience for black people, the important thing really is, is to listen when people who have lived those experiences are talking and sharing, but also not burdening those people by asking to take it upon themselves to completely educate you. So it is yeah. try to find the resources on your own if you especially if you don't have that close relationship with that person. We've um, got libraries, we've got Netflix, YouTube. <laughs> yeah, there's no way for us to cover this topic that is so incredibly expansive in a 30-minute podcast episode, but I think the best thing we can say is to learn more and to learn from people who aren't us like to go out and seek out more information and what you're able to do and where you're able to contribute yes it's too expansive it's too nuanced and it's too specific to also people who aren't us for us to to give you a fully accurate understanding from this so please go out and learn and advocate where you can within your capabilities and know that you are more than welcome to reach out to us let us know if there's ways we could be better yeah if there's anything we said that was inaccurate or you know if we said anything that just wasn't reflective if there's any resources you'd like to point us to we will bring them up on the next episode all right thank you thanks for talking with me all right. thanks everyone um I hope everyone also is still practicing uh, self-care amidst everything. Go listen to Alana's podcast on meditation. <laughs> All right. Thanks.